Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Friday, March 29, 2019. With the devastation occurring on our farms and ranches in the Midwest, we've invited Dr. John Newton of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dr. Newton manages AFBF's economics team in conducting analysis. And later on in the program, we'll head to Nebraska to continue the discussion with Ann Meese, who, along with her husband, Jim, brother and sister-in-law, Joe and Pam Meese, and parents, Jim and Shirley Meese, own and operate a corn, soybean, alfalfa, and feeder cattle operation southeast of Elgin, Nebraska. She's a board member on Nebraska's Soybean Board and U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance and is in right in the middle of it all. Dr. Newton, welcome back to Farm Food Facts. Thanks for having me on. Now, I'm sure you and your team have been quite busy these past few days with the storms and flooding in the Midwest. Can you give us a latest update? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen, a lot of farmers and ranchers have, have come to the aid of one another to help rebuild and clean up uh, following these devastating floods. We've seen uh, and heard reports of a number of farmers who've lost uh, livestock or lost grain uh, that was stored in the bins on the farm. So there's uh, a very large cleanup effort underway, a lot of rebuilding uh, left to go, get the transportation infrastructure restored, uh, restore those rail lines, restore the, the routes along the river uh, to get ready for the spring planting season this year. And do you think, um, and I know this is a hard question to, to answer, but do you think that they will be ready in time? You know, it's tough to say. I think a lot of folks, you know, in those river bottoms, uh, have lost a lot. Many have lost uh, everything. They've lost uh, not only uh, some of their commodities, their livestock, but many have lost their homes. So there's a, a very long rebuilding process uh, ahead of those families uh, that have been impacted as a result of these floods. I think uh, in areas outside of those river bottoms, uh, farmers and ranchers will certainly be ready. Uh, we did see USDA put out the first uh, acreage uh, survey report for 2019 based on surveys from farmers uh, conducted over the first two weeks of March, so slightly prior to uh, when the flooding began, and, and farmers intend to plant about 92 million acres of corn and about 84 million acres of soybeans uh, in 2019, a lot of those in uh, those Midwest states. Now, can you also estimate for us a dollar amount that's been lost by the U.S. farmers and ranchers? You know, that's that's tough to do. Uh, you know, in the short run, uh, we've seen estimates come in from some states uh, over a billion dollars uh, in, in crop and livestock losses. Uh, but there are also some, some effects that we haven't been able to measure yet. The, the transportation uh, log jam that's going to be upcoming, the inability to get uh, rail products on rail, uh, the inability to run uh, processing facilities, whether it's an ethanol facility uh, or a, a soybean crushing facility, the loss of livestock. Uh, so I think the, the damage, the property damage as well, uh, it, we've gotten some early estimates, but but those those numbers could rise. And what's the balance between supply and demand now because of the weather conditions? You mentioned, you know, the, the crop survey, what they were intending uh, to plant. Uh, but now with all this loss, um, are we going to be able to fill the demand? You know, I think w what we're going to see is in these local areas, uh, that have been impacted. Uh, we're going to see some supply disruptions, some demand disruptions, uh, and that's going to impact commodity prices uh, in, a, in a number of different directions. A, 
Uh, you think about you know the additional processing capacity, uh, processing costs to run the ethanol plant, uh, to transport products once they're complete. But then there may not be adequate supplies uh, in the nearby area to run these uh, ethanol mm -hmm. plants at capacity. So there's a lot of different costs uh, to think about uh, going forward. Uh, but I do think areas outside of that, we're not going to see as much of a, a supply-demand hiccup. Uh, we've got abundant supplies of products around the country, whether it be crops or, or animal products, dairy products, livestock products, that I don't believe consumers at the national level are going to see much of an impact. That's great. So what what happens next, John? What are you hearing from farmers and ranchers about new plantings, new herds? Are they going to be able to afford it? And how long do you think that it's going to really take them to get back to normal? You know, I think farmers are, are always tested with, with an adverse situation, whether it's uh, growers in the southeast that experienced uh, two devastating hurricanes in, in two consecutive years, uh, growers in Texas that had, uh, you know, drought conditions early last year, or excessive rainfall uh, across much of the country uh, late last year that, that delayed harvest uh, around the country. Growers adapt, uh, and we always rebuild. What we're seeing now in the Midwest, uh, folks come together to help rebuild communities. We're seeing products from outside of these uh, disaster-impacted regions come into the area to, to help farmers that are trying to rebuild whether it's bringing uh, livestock feed in from outside the area or supplies needed to rebuild. So we will rebuild. I think it's going to take some time uh, for many folks to, to get back on their feet, but that's what farmers do uh, each and every day is, is recover from some of these adverse uh, events that occur when, unfortunately, Mother Nature is our business partner. So we're always dealing with uh, you know, adverse weather conditions in some parts of the country that impact our businesses. Well, John, thanks so much for your insights and, and the update and for joining us on Farm Food Facts. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now for the news you need to know. Farmers are experiencing incredibly hard times because of Mother Nature. The recent farm belt floods are another tough blow to ag. Farmers and ranchers have been hit hard by the major flooding happening in parts of the Midwest following the bomb cyclone winter storm last week that brought heavy rains, wind, and snow. Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin have declared emergencies, and flooding claimed the lives of at least two Nebraska residents, including one farmer who was swept away while attempting to use his tractor to help stranded motorists. The snowfall and destructive floodwaters have also caused extensive livestock fatalities, with calving season now underway. The damage will surely devastate cattle, hog, grain, and other commodity markets. The profuse flooding followed days of record-setting snow and rain that swept through the West and Midwest. The torrential deluge pushed some waterways, including the Missouri River, to record levels in Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, and Minnesota. This flooding is the worst in nearly a decade in many places. What grocers need to know is that these are the stories of what leadership looks like day in and day out. To protect the soil despite the cost, to ensure that animals are sheltered and cared for, these farmers 
persevere, and get the job done despite what Mother Nature throws their way. These are the stories that can't be quantified in supply chain reporting metrics or sustainability context. And if we do recognize that there are impacts related to climate change, then supply chain leaders must not only help in the supply chain sourcing, but be aware of the day-to-day realities of climate risks and shocks, because our farmers are living it every day. And next in livestock-related news, the ag industry is seeking USDA oversight of genetically engineered animals. Livestock groups are calling for the moving of the regulation of genetically engineered animals from the FDA to the USDA. This could potentially set up another face-off. Presently, the FDA has control over reviewing the safety of GE animals, while USDA handles GE plants. However, animal ag groups say that the FDA's framework falls short in clarity, and the process is quite slow going. They point out that the agency has only cleared one genetically engineered animal, aqua-advantage salmon, and that took more than 20 years to approve. The pork industry is taking the lead, partly because gene-edited hogs that are resistant to certain diseases are expected to become commercially available within the next few years. Farmers and scientists are very excited about the possibility of resistance to porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, a disease that costs the industry hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Those who support the move say that it's an urgent issue because some other countries have already signed off on GE animals, putting U.S. producers at a competitive disadvantage. Advocates were encouraged by the joint USDA-FDA agreement for handling the regulation of cell-based meat, and they say that the shared arrangement could provide a guide for how the biotech animals debate might play out. In its review of biotech plants, the USDA set a goal of streamlining regulations in order to assist products in getting to market quicker. Animal ag groups are hopeful that the department would take the same approach for genetically engineered animals. What grocers need to know is that while the scientists are pushing for a more rapid process, it will be an important lesson for all to watch just how consumers and retailers accept or not the Aquabounty salmon as it hits store shelves and how the company delivers its messaging on the process. And now here's a way we could potentially better protect our livestock. Researchers from Texas A&M University may have discovered a way to reduce antibiotic use in livestock by using drone technology. The researchers have been monitoring livestock in a feedlot with drones equipped with thermal imaging cameras in an attempt to identify feverish animals. If the drones can successfully isolate which cattle needs treatment, then ranchers could treat only the ones in need of medication, rather than depending on the practice of injecting the entire herd with the antibiotics. Texas A&M University's system chancellor, John Sharp, says demand for antibiotic-free meat and ingenuity from Texas A&M AgriLife research scientists have led to some very exciting technology and a new segment of precision agriculture. What grocers need to know is that drones have been proven to monitor crops to help reduce water, fertilizer, and pesticides, and now they're being used with livestock as a natural extension of precision agriculture, which could save thousands of animals and millions of dollars. Ag technology continues to evolve in many different ways, and the ways we farm are changing as well. Are hydroponics the future of farming? Cities play an often overlooked role in the production and consumption of food, according to the World Economic Forum. 
Their report states that 80% of all food is expected to be consumed in cities by 2050. They have to be central to this story. Today, they often act as black holes, sucking in resources but wasting many of them, the final stop in the take-make-waste approach. Vertical farming and hydroponics in particular could help urban farmers grow food in densely populated towns and cities where land is scarce. Through careful manipulation and management of the growing environment, including the amount of water, the pH levels, and the combination of specific nutrients, hydroponics could grow plants even faster than other traditional farming methods that has to rely on sunlight. What grocers need to know is that retailers are scurrying to find nearby hydroponic and vertical farms to receive fresher produce that does not have to be shipped cross-country. It reduces costs as well as contamination that could lead to foodborne outbreaks. And for our final news story, farmers' markets are struggling because the market is saturated. The number of U.S. farmers' markets increased from 2,000 back in 1994 to more than 8,600 in 2019. Nationwide, there are too few farmers to fill these market stalls and too few customers filling their canvas bags with fresh produce from each market. When the Nipomo Certified Farmers Market started back in 2005, shoppers were quite eager to purchase fresh fruits and veggies as well as pastured meats and eggs directly from farmers in Central California. However, the market was small. An average of 16 vendors set up tables every Sunday, making it much more difficult for farmers to sell enough produce to make attending it worthwhile. Hosting the market on Sundays also proved harmful, as several of the farmers participate in six or more additional markets every week and just wanted Sundays to rest. In 2018, with farmer market attendance low and only five vendors signed on to sell produce, the organizers of the Nipomo Certified Farmers Market decided to shut down the event at the end of last season. Reports of farmers markets closing have affected communities from Norco, California, to Reno, Nevada, to Alouez, Wisconsin. There are too few farmers to populate the market stalls and too few customers filling their bags with fresh produce. And now we head to Nebraska to Ann Meese. Ann, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thanks for having me, Phil. I'm happy to be here. Let's get right to it. The Farm Belt floods have been devastating to our farmers and ranchers in at least four states, and the spring flood outlook doesn't look much better. Now, the great news is that your farm, your family farm, has not been affected. But can you tell us what's going on with your friends and neighbors? Absolutely. Um, yes, the devastation um, to homes and some of the downtown businesses in rural America around me are probably, you know, first and foremost. And neighbors are pitching in, helping each other, and um, people need a place to, to live. Livestock losses are real. Um, we've had, especially cattlemen in my area, have had some losses. I have a neighbor who lost 40 calves. That's 30% of his herd, so that's significant. Um, another neighbor of mine can't get to his hay to feed his own cattle because the road to his fields have washed out. So these are, you know, real personal stories that are happening, um, and it, 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 it's devastated our area, but, uh, you know, we're all looking for ways to, to keep moving. Transportation has been a big issue. You know, we are a rural area, so 
roads being washed out, bridges being taken out have really affected our transportation. So that's so important to farmers to get our crops to market or get our livestock to market. So we're all getting pretty creative on finding ways to get from point A to point B or to get our uh, corn or soybeans to market or our, our cattle. So it's probably livestock damage in my area has probably been most devastating. Um, so that means that farmers, that if they've lost cattle or they've lost calves, you know, they have to find another way to replace that income. It's really been uplifting being the, the hay and the livestock feed being donated. There's certain locations. Driving today, I saw five hay trucks on the road because you know those we care about our livestock. They have sure. to be fed every day. Yeah. So, Ann, I want to talk about that rebuilding for a moment. Uh, when you when you look at livestock damage, something that I'm not sure that retailers and, and certainly um, in, in the case of consumers don't realize that, you know, when you lose a third of, of your herd, you don't immediately replace that with a third. That It takes years, doesn't it? Yes. It takes years. And so that year, you're without unless, you know, you can, because there's damage all the way through the supply chain. So like any small business, you know, I I consider a farmer small business. You have to prepare for years where you've got losses like this because we're always dealing with mother nature or different outside forces, whether it be markets or mother nature. So it's something that has to be built into your operation. So it takes a while to rebuild. If if farmers out in western Nebraska, the blizzard, we had the floods in my area, they had the blizzard. It takes years to replace, you know, cow herds that with uh, genetics that are good for, you know, calving and, and holding calves. So working on it is going to be a long drawn out process. So what would you like our audience of grocery retailers and the media to know about what's going on with this situation? Well, you know, it's amazing how plentiful and efficient our food supply system truly is. And we all need to appreciate that. You know, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Iowa were probably affected the most. And we really are the breadbasket, called the breadbasket mm-hmm. of the world for a reason, because we are. But Food and the whole process of bringing it to you as a customer and to retailers is really long and complex. So in the good part, um, I don't think it will greatly impact the average consumer because it is such a huge supply system and so complex. But as far as media, let's hope that this national coverage that has happened really helps everyone remember where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. That we are real people out here. We are real farmers and we're, you know, growing the crops that are going to feed the livestock or even come to your table. And we're raising real food out here. That hamburger that ends up on your plate comes from somebody like myself and my husband who are out there every day, you know, feeding and caring for that in the blizzard and in a flood. And we, we care for our animals before ourselves a lot of times. And what's next for these affected farms and ranches? And how will farmer resilience help in this time of crisis? Farmers are resilient, that's for sure. So we all put our boots on and get back to work. You know, soil moved under these floodwaters. So fields Mm -hmm. need dirt work. We need to prepare for planting that's coming up in the uh, very near future in the next couple of weeks. Fences need to be fixed. 
every day you get up and you and you keep working at it and figure ways to replace lost livestock and to get the fields ready for the next crop. So, Anne, congratulations for being honored as the Ag-ceptional Woman of the Year. I wish I would have thought of that name uh, back in 2016. <laughs> uh, now, you put a lot of effort personally into sharing your insights with the next generation, getting them excited about farming, about ranching. If you would, look into your crystal ball. What's the future of farming look like? Well, I'm an eternal optimist. I hope that there's a continuation of the family farm and that knowledge gained is passed on from one generation to the next generation. And we excite young people to come into the, the you know, agricultural business. Um, and this, that this whole providing food for others is valued by all. I hope the family farmer continues to be valued as the true steward of the land, water, air, and soil, and that we embrace the modern advances that science and technology gives us to grow healthy food. My real vision, and I hope that what 2050 looks like for society, is that we begin to value farmers and ranchers as the true caretakers of our natural resources while we continue to provide food and fiber for the whole world. I don't want to wait till 2050. I, I'm not even sure I want to wait till 2020 for that to happen. And thank you so much for sharing your insights with us on Farm Food Facts. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. And thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab and visit us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers or on Twitter at USFRA.